the Apostle Paul to the Galatians from chapter 3, verse 23, what it means now to be children of God. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Well, let me add my uh, welcome to John's from earlier on. It's great to have a large crowd gathered together. Jazz carols uh, last weekend, we divided into two uh, in order to fit everyone in, and uh, we're getting towards that uh, for candlelit carols for next year, but I'm glad you've got a seat uh, for this evening. And lots of good reasons to be here. Uh, Good to be here to uh, hear the choir singing so beautifully. Uh, Thank you for all the work that you've done uh, for that. Uh, Maybe that's Uh, why you came. Uh, Lovely to be here in a beautifully decorated building with the the candles looking fantastic and the decorations, uh, lovely atmosphere. Uh, That's a good reason uh, to come. Uh, But there is, of course, a a much better reason sat behind this evening, uh, which is uh, the message uh, of Christmas, a message that really makes tonight worth being here for. Only, it is a message that is so easily missed. You must have had the experience of uh, watching a a television uh, with the sound turned down. And maybe an image on the screen has caught your attention. But because the sound's turned down, it's very hard to know quite the significance uh, of what you can see. Oh, I don't know, maybe it might be... um, uh, images of uh, Theresa May arriving at Buckingham Palace. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I wonder 
Has the deal finally been done? Is Brexit sorted? Uh, And Theresa's there at the palace uh, to tell the Queen the good news. Or has it finally and utterly gone pear-shaped? Has Brexit been ruined once and for all? And Theresa May is there at Buckingham Palace to tender her resignation. Or actually, has it got nothing to do with Brexit at all? And has Theresa May just turned up with her Ferrera Rocha uh, to give the Queen the gift uh, that she had in mind for this particular Christmas? You just don't know, do you? With the sound turned down, the images could mean anything. Well, it is something like that with the very familiar image of the nativity scene. And tonight what I want to do is is try and turn the volume back up to look to the pages of the Bible, indeed to the reading that we have just had uh, from that New Testament letter, written only probably 10, 20 years after Jesus had lived. And just to pick out these two sentences... They'll do nicely for us to turn up the volume. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, can I say that as the volume comes up... There are things here that we would not have expected to hear. We wouldn't have anticipated the things that we read in these couple of sentences. Let me, let me pick out three of them. First, we wouldn't have anticipated that this Christmas, this nativity scene, the stuff going on in the stable, was it about an adoption. And not an adoption of a baby... No, but an adoption that involves you and me. The whole point of the Christmas story was so that God could initiate an adoption of you, of me. So that God could initiate the world's biggest adoption agency. Now, that's a little bit of a surprise. It's not what we first thought. I mean, try it out, if you like, over Christmas dinner. You know, just after the turkey has been carved, the bread sauce is on the plate, and the crackers are pulled, and everyone is just saying, Happy Christmas. You give it a go. Happy Adoption Day. I think it might not go down too well. It's not what we think Christmas is about, but that's what these verses say. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, do you see the implication of this? The implication of this is that we are not by birth. We are not by nature part of God's family. You can't be adopted into a family that you're already a part of. Now, if we need adoption into the family of God, then the implication is that by birth, by nature, that's not our natural family. And that we need to be adopted in. Which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense of many of the things that we experience. The way in which God doesn't feel close to us most of the time. 
The way in which we, we can go hours, days, weeks, years, barely giving God a second thought. The way in which if we do pray, then so often it feels that our prayers are just bouncing back down off the proverbial ceiling and not getting through at all. According to these verses, the reason that Jesus came was to make it possible for us to be adopted into the family of God itself. And it's an adoption that you and I and everybody else really needs. And then second, the the process, the, the means to get this adoption is through a redemption. Catch that in the middle. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. We don't do a lot of thinking about redemption, I guess, anymore. And maybe that's a good thing, because the imagery comes from the slave market, from the redemption price that needed to be paid if you wanted to set a slave free. But if the idea of adoption is odd to us, the idea that we might need redeeming, that some sort of redemption price might need to be paid for us, is even odder. Because if we do do some thinking about trying to get close to God, trying to make contact with God, trying somehow to break through to to being in relationship with God, our assumption is that it must be something that we need to do, that the onus is on us to reach out to him. Perhaps you've heard the story of the little boy who who really, really wanted a bike for Christmas. Now, he came from a religious family, so he got it into his head that what he needed to do was write a letter to Jesus to ask for this bike. So one day he sat down a little bit before Christmas and his letter began like this. Dear Jesus, he wrote, because I have been good for a whole year, please would you... And he stopped. And he thought about the past year. And he scrumpled up the bit of paper and he got a new piece of paper out and he started again. Dear Jesus, because I have been good for a whole month... And then he stopped. And he remembered being rude to his sister and hitting his little brother. And he scrumpled that bit of paper up as well. And he started again. Dear Jesus, because I have been good for a whole week, oh, but almost at once, he remembered pulling the cat's tail and lying to his teacher. And he scrumpled that bit of paper up as well. And he sat back on his chair, thoroughly fed up, thinking to himself, I'll never get that bike. But just at that moment, he saw the nativity scene out in the hallway that his parents had put. And in a flash, he ran out, grabbed the figure of Mary, and brought it back to his desk, put it on the desk, and began another letter. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... (laughs) You see... That's the way that we do think. If we do do any thinking about how it is we can get stuff from God, 
how it is we can get into a relationship with God, we think we've got to tell him how good we've been. Or we've got to find some way to do a bargain with him, to, to twist his arm behind his back, to force him. But we miss the point. The initiative lies with him. That's, that's what these verses are telling us. He took the initiative. He allowed his son to be born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem us, in order that he could pay the price to set us free. You see, the crib and the cross go together. Now, we prefer the, the gentle, peaceful nativity scene to the brutal harshness of the crucifixion. But, but you can't have one without the other. The baby was born to die. The reason we had a nativity was so that one day there could be a cross. Christ on the cross paid the redemption price, paid the penalty that makes relationship with God possible again. And that leads us to to the final, most surprising thing about the Christmas nativity scene, which is the surprise of the incarnation. If we're surprised to find out that Christmas is about adoption, if we're surprised to find that it's about a redemption, well, we should be astonished to realize that it's about an incarnation. It is about God entering into the world that he has made. It's a ridiculous idea that the God, the creator of everything, should squeeze himself down, as it were, condense himself till he is nothing more than a few cells, an embryo in the womb of a teenage girl. It's an astonishing idea. But that's what this says. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of a woman. The God who brought everything into being himself enters the world through a birth canal. The God who controls everything arrives helpless as a baby who needs to be held and fed and changed. But this is what we sing each Christmas in our carols. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Christ the incarnate deity. Or or in another carol, Lo, within the manger lies he who built the starry skies. The idea is so extraordinary that Christmas after Christmas we can just walk past it. But it does have to be this way. For if the God who is going to redeem us is going to be able to pay the price, then it must be God who dies on the cross in our place. But it must be a God who has taken on human flesh to be killable in our place. Jesus, born of a woman. Like every one of us, I take it that's true for each of us, I haven't met anyone yet who wasn't born of a woman. And Jesus, like us, born under the law, under the requirements of what we have to do. Jesus' summary would do nicely, wouldn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
love your neighbor as yourself. We don't do it. He did. And because he did it, he can take our place. He becomes what we are in all our humanity in order that we can become who he is in all the blessings of the family of God itself. Do you see the glorious exchange that takes place? It is that good. God giving us relationship with himself. God giving us eternity with himself. God including us, adopting us into the very family of God. It is that good. And it is that completely free. The trouble is we just don't believe it. There's a story told of a Baptist minister who one Christmas time uh, was visiting um, an elderly widow who was living in poverty. And he was taking her money from the church's relief fund. But when he arrived at the house and knocked on the door, there was no answer. He knocked again, there was still no answer. The elderly widow was inside, but she'd hidden herself away. She wouldn't come to the door because she thought that the man knocking on the door was the rent man. She thought he'd come to demand what was owed. And she thought that because she couldn't pay, she'd lose her home. So the door stayed shut. But the man knocking on the door didn't come making demands. He came bearing gifts. Can I ask if it's possible this evening that you are making the same mistake with God? That your sense of him is that if you were to open the door to him, he'd have demands. He'd take stuff away. He'd remove from you things that are precious to you. And you've misunderstood because the man at the door, the God who may be knocking even this evening on the door of your heart, is a God who bears gifts, a God who would love to bless you with adoption into his very family. Now, I know that the Christmas story raises huge questions. Even as we've touched on it briefly, just in a few minutes this evening, uh, I know the questions that it raises. I remember the questions I had when I first heard it. And that's why we run uh, a few evenings in the new year, uh, specifically for questions like that, so people can come and think it through and ask the questions that it raises. Tonight, I've just tried to turn the volume up, try to listen to the words that explain the nativity scene. You hear something that makes you want to sit up and listen? Well, if you think there's something here, if you even have an inkling that the God who's knocking on the door could be bearing gifts, then open the door at least a crack. Have a little peek outside. You could do that by picking up one of these uh, little booklets that explains more about the Christmas and the Christian message than I've been able to this evening. You could do it by coming uh, to those evenings in the new year. John will tell us more about those in a moment. You could do it by 
coming back, joining us on any Sunday from here on in. Uh, We'd love to have you open the door a crack because we've discovered just how good the God is who knocks. We're going to close with a final uh, carol uh, and then John will wrap up with a final prayer. Thanks for listening.